Well, good morning. My name is Malcolm Kite, so I lead the site here. Welcome to you all. Uh, many years ago, I read a book uh, which was written by a Pakistani woman called uh, Bilquis Sheikh. Uh, she was born in Pakistan in 1912 uh, to conservative Muslim parents. And uh, as she grew up, she didn't reject her Muslim faith, but she did become increasingly skeptical about anything that was spiritual. Uh, she felt that if she could see it and explain it, uh, she would believe it. She married General Khalid Sheikh, who for a time was Pakistan's Minister of the Interior. Uh, and she was active in politics and in social work. But at the age of 48, her marriage fell apart and she retired to her family's land in a place called Wah in Pakistan. And she lived a fairly isolated life there as a hermit. And it was at that point that she began to really seek God again. And through a series of unusual events and some uh, uh, sort of dreams, she, she began to discover more about God. And he began to answer some of her questions. She started to read the Bible for herself. And many questions arose in her mind. Why did the Bible insist on pointing to Jesus? Why did the Bible bring her peace when she read it? And could she really call God Father? Could she really call God Father? So over time, God answered her deepest questions, and she realized that God did indeed want to be her Father. Now, if I was to ask us as a congregation, what is the most famous prayer in the Bible? I guess most of us would probably say, well, it's the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, so on. It begins with the words, our Father. But I think we've become so familiar with those opening two words that we probably don't realize the full impact of what Jesus was saying here when he spoke these words in Matthew 6, 9 which says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And this should raise in our minds the same question that Bilquis Sheikh asked herself. Can we really call him Father? Is it really possible then to approach the almighty eternal God and call him Father? It's an outrageous idea. It's quite a controversial idea. It sounds disrespectful when you step back and you think about it. It's inappropriate, surely, for ordinary human beings to address God as Father. But if you've grown up in a society like this one, a, a sort of Christian society, we get familiar with the Lord's Prayer and it seems normal to us. But if you've grown up in a society where there's another faith which dominates, it's probably quite a radical idea. There are some Bible passages which describe the angels as worshipping God in heaven and they're using all sorts of respectful phrases, uh, different names for God, uh, adoration and, and respect. And you would expect ordinary human beings to have to use similar language when approaching God. But Jesus teaches our Father. Now, yesterday evening, I was at concert at the Royal Albert Hall uh, to celebrate the Queen's 90th birthday. Uh, I had the privilege of singing there, and it was a great e event, a bit like the last night at the proms. Uh, the Queen wasn't there, but uh, we did this whole sort of 
90th birthday celebration. And as part of that, we sang happy birthday to the Queen, who wasn't there. I don't know why, but we did. Uh, But we had to sing happy birthday, dear Majesty, or your Majesty. I don't know which one it was. We sang different things, I think. But uh, we couldn't address her dear, dear Elizabeth or dear Lizzie. You know, we just couldn't do that. It had to be dear Majesty. It's appropriate that you uh, address the monarch in a particular way. And so when Jesus teaches us to address God as our Father, it's quite a startling statement. It tells us, actually, that we're not to keep standing at a distance from God, that we can actually draw near, that we are to feel that we are part of his family. And and Jesus says, don't just address uh, him as Father, but our Father, now, my mother-in-law comes from Hartlepool, and in her family, his big family, they, uh, they would talk about different members of the family, whether that's nephews or cousins or sisters or brothers, as our this or whatever. So, our Graham, our Graham, he's, 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 he's not just any old Graham, he's, he's our Graham, he's part of the Defty family, you know, so that's, that's how they, they speak up north, and uh, it places Graham in that particular family, not just any Graham. And our father suggests a close family connection between ordinary people and God. It tells us that we shouldn't remain remote from him, that we can come close. It implies, strongly implies, that we can know God in a personal way. And yet, so often we think of God as being distant and out there somewhere. Not that close. I know I felt that way. Before I became a Christian, I became a Christian when I was 18. I grew up in a church, but, but I, I, I had a vague belief in God. I did pray sometimes, particularly when I had exams that I hadn't prepared for properly, uh, or I was going to the dentist. You know, you pray, don't you? Urgent moments. But apart from that, I didn't really have this sort of personal relationship with God until I was 18, when I, something clicked for me, and I, I realized that I could have this personal relationship with God. And that's possibly the way that many people view God. He's out there somewhere. He's remote. Uh, And yet Jesus teaches us to call him and pray to him with the words, Our Father. Now you might remember that Jesus was crucified, but before he was crucified, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he prays earnestly to God in a very intense way. And on that occasion, he cries to God using the very intimate term, Abba, or Papa, Daddy. Uh, It it was a a term of endearment. It was respectful, but it was very intimate. It was commonly used in Israel in those days. So children would sit on their father's laps and they would call Dad Abba. And you can understand that Jesus can have that close relationship with God and call him Abba, but actually as the New Testament unfolds, we're, we're taught that we can also call God not just Father, but Abba. It is that intimate, that close. And that's the kind of relationship that Jesus wants us to have with God the Father. It isn't that he's way out there and that we always have to address him in a formal manner, which is appropriate sometimes, but he's saying, no, you can come closer. You don't have to use your majesty or royal highness or excellency all the time. He's not always remote and big out there as something that you can't connect to. He's our Father. But what kind of father is he? Well, sadly, uh, for many people, their experience of an earthly father isn't always so good. And for those people, Father's Day is difficult. 
And if that's closer to your experience, you might find it hard to understand the idea that God can be a good father. Uh, you, you just got this idea that fathers are always cold and harsh and distant. You expect the heavenly father to be the same as your earthly father. But Jesus taught us that the heavenly father is very different. In Matthew chapter 5 through to chapter 7, we have the Sermon on the Mount. And again and again through that teaching, Jesus is bringing this radical idea that God is a loving heavenly father. And he presents his qualities one after another. There's at least four characteristics of God as father as you go through the Sermon on the Mount. So the first thing we learn from the Sermon on the Mount is that the Father gives us rewards. So the religious leaders of the day were very keen on making a great show of everything they did in their religion. They liked to be seen to be holier than everyone else. It was all about outward appearances. It was all about looking pious. And so Jesus taught us that we're not to make a big deal of these religious things that we do. So in Matthew 6, 3 and 4, he says that the Father rewards those who give to the needy without making a great show of it. Again, in Matthew 6, 6, we learn that the Father rewards those who pray in secret and don't make a great show of praying on the street corners, like the Pharisees used to love to do that uh, big show of their religious commitment. In Matthew 6, 18, we see that the Father rewards those who fast in secret and don't let anyone know they're fasting uh, by wearing sackcloth and ashes and and messing up their hair. That was the thing that the religious people wanted to do. They wanted to show everybody that they were fasting. Jesus says, no, keep keep it quiet and the Father will reward you. So we find that we have a heavenly father that likes to reward his children in similar ways that an earthly father would like to reward his children. You know, when your kids have been good or when you've done well at school or they won a race at at school or, or, you know, they they just want to express their love for them, they give them sweets and chocolate and gifts and, and they just love to lavish gifts on their children. Good fathers like to do that. The second thing that Jesus teaches us from these chapters is that the Father offers forgiveness, like any good earthly father. So in Matthew 6, 14, Jesus says, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. So a good earthly father will always try and forgive his children, even if they go totally off the rails, and sometimes it's difficult. But they are wanting, the default is wanting to give them forgiveness, And so Jesus says, look, the father isn't a father who holds grudges forever. You come back asking for forgiveness, he's quick to restore us. The third thing that Jesus teaches us about the father is that he provides for all of our material needs, just like any good earthly father who provides for his family. So in Matthew 6, 25 to 33, Jesus is teaching there that we shouldn't worry about what we're going to eat or what we're going to drink or what we're going to wear And he says, don't worry about tomorrow, uh, because we have a Father who provides for us. He knows what you need already. And so the Father isn't this remote figure like some sort of Whitehall official who sort of, you know, dishes out benefits to numerous people that they don't know. No, the Father knows us personally, and he knows our personal circumstances. The fourth thing that Jesus teaches from this passage is that he gives good gifts to those who ask him. 
Now, in Greek mythology, uh, Greek gods were often seen as capricious. That is, they were inconsistent, they were fickle, they were unstable. But Jesus is teaching that this God is a good God who gives good gifts. So in Matthew 7.10, he teaches us that God won't give us things that will damage us. Uh, Like a good earthly father, he wouldn't dream of giving children a stone if they're asking for bread, or a snake if they're asking for fish. And so Jesus shows us that the Father is consistent, reliable, caring, just like any earthly father. So the Sermon on the Mount teaches us that God gives rewards, he offers forgiveness, he provides for our daily needs, and he gives good gifts to his children. That is a long way from the concept that God is this oppressive headmaster that loves giving out detentions and canes us every so often when we get things wrong. Jesus is bringing a very radical, different kind of understanding of who God is. So why does God sometimes feel so distant from us? You may have heard this story recently from Japan. Uh, On June the 3rd, a seven-year-old boy was found dehydrated and hungry, but otherwise healthy, six days after he went missing on a mountain in Hokkaido. His parents had left him by himself. They'd driven off for a short time to punish him for being naughty. And then when they drove back again to the place where they left him, he had disappeared. Now, looking at that picture, I have some sympathy for his parents. He's obviously quite a trouble, troublemaker of a lad, I should think. Uh, but that obviously wasn't the right thing at all for them to do. And, and fortunately, they found him, and his dad was very repentant publicly and so on. Um, But sometimes we're tempted to think that that's what God does to us. We've mucked up, uh, we've done something wrong, and he just drives off into the distance for a while and then maybe comes back later if he feels like it. He goes from us to punish us. But of course the reality is that it's us that wander away from God rather than the other way around. I clearly remember a time many years ago when my oldest son uh, was three and we were at a Bible week at Plumpton Racecourse. And uh, we were all there with our sort of church camping together. And I, I met up with a guy that I hadn't seen since, since college. And he'd got one or two children. I can't remember whether they got just one or two. But my son and his kids, anyway, were playing together. And we were just catching up, chatting. And uh, so they're happily playing behind us. We're, we're chatting away, you know, f- catching up on all the things that have happened. And then I sort of looked around and realized that my son is, is no longer playing behind us. He's wandered off somewhere. And it's that sort of moment that most parents have probably had at some point where you think, oh, no, I've lost my child. And so you look around the immediate area and you start saying to people from your church, have you seen Ben? And they say no. And, we, and you start, you know, form a little search party and you look around the immediate campsite and he's, he's not there. And so we spread out. And eventually, somebody found him about 200, 250 yards away up the campsite. It's a big site. Uh, and he's just gone out exploring. And I don't think he knew he was lost exactly. He just, he's just off to explore. But of course, as a father, you feel terribly panic-stricken. You know, I've lost my child. It was a relatively safe place, but even so. And I think every time we wander away from God, that's how God the Father feels about us. He's, he's lost us, he's, and he wants us to come back. And there is this uh, famous parable, isn't there, in Luke 15 about the prodigal son. And Jesus presents the father as the one who doesn't compel us to stay with him. We can wander off. He allows us to do that. 
The younger son wants his freedom. He wants his inheritance. He goes off by himself. He squanders the whole thing. And then eventually comes to his senses and comes back to his father, not expecting to be received back into the family, really, but just needing some shelter and hoping that there'll be enough mercy to allow him to stay and maybe sleep somewhere out in the farm or something. And he is welcomed back with open arms. And that is exactly how the Heavenly Father is with us. He forgives us. He goes the extra mile in welcoming us when we turn back to him. You know, God the Father has a passion for us when we're lost. He wants every single one of us to return to him. And again and again, Jesus presents God as approachable, loving, caring, forgiving. He's not the angry, vindictive tyrant that often people think he is. Maybe that you know in your head that God is a loving Father, but somehow you've never really believed that he loves you, or you've struggled to believe that he loves you. And if that's you, then I just want us to take a moment, take a moment just to apply that truth to yourself. Lord, we pray for those among us who've really struggled to accept that you're our Father. Maybe we've not had a a really good model of an earthly father ourselves. Maybe we struggle to accept that you could be a loving father who forgives and supports us. So I just pray, Lord, for those among us who are in that situation that we would just have something of a revelation of your love for us personally, right now even. Thank you, Lord. And while we're still praying, uh, Mark, who's been helping us with our Wednesday night group, these last uh, few weeks, just got a prophetic word to share with us about the same theme, really. I had a strong sense of this yesterday, and the same thing again when Malcolm's talking about the prodigal son and walking away from God. And um, I just know as people, we can be identified by what makes us wander away from God, or, or what we do, or what we've done when we're away from God. And I just thought God is actually, even, even in the prodigal son story, while the guy was wandering away, he was still a son, his dad was still there. And... Um, Actually, of course, even when we make mistakes, we are still sons, we are still daughters. And it was all about identity. And we can say things about ourselves like, um, whatever it is that we struggle with, I am an, you kind of fill the gap for you, whatever it is that you might do that's not good, or, or I am a, or I always. And actually what we struggle with can become your identity. And it was all about that. And I thought God say to me personally, but I thought, I thought it was for some, I didn't know we were coming to this congregation yesterday, but... Um, our identity should be, I am a Christian. That's our identity, I am a Christian. Then everything else can actually come into line with that, rather than taking something else as your identity. It's about being a son or a daughter, and actually that being your identity, and saying every day, actually, I am a Christian. I'm really proud of that. So maybe you've never seen God in that way, but today you realise that uh, you don't need to remain remote from him. Uh, There was a point in my life where I realized that I I didn't need to feel that God was right out there somewhere. And uh, you've realized that you can have a personal relationship with him, that you can call him Father. And you've never done that before. Uh, So I just want to invite you to do that today. I mean, I think, why wouldn't you want to come back to know your Father as a Heavenly Father? He's waiting to welcome you, just as the Father in the story of the prodigal son So I'm just going to pray a prayer which all of us can follow silently in our heads, but maybe for some people here it will be particularly pertinent for you. So let's pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you 
that Jesus taught us that we can be part of your family. Thank you that you are a loving, forgiving father and not a remote authoritarian figure. I know I've been far away from you, but I want to come back and know you as father. Please forgive me for all my wrong actions, words and thoughts. Thank you that Jesus made it possible for me to know forgiveness by dying on the cross. Thank you that he has bridged the gap between me and God and made it possible for me to know him as Father. Amen.